Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy. Good morning. Welcome to Smashy Dubai Works. This week, I have the pleasure of being joined with the CEO of Flash Entertainment, John Licorice. Flash Entertainment is a renowned global events company, but it's a local and regional success story. Ever since its first event in 2007, it's gone on to bring some of the well-known uh, and most, uh, most followed and most attended events in the region, uh, global artists. Uh, they have over 400 events, uh, 5,200 event days, and they've brought 8.5 million smiles. I, I'm gonna ask John how, how they've calculated all those, but I assume it's all the people that have come through to the events. They've been uh, recognized with industry awards, uh, over 60 awards, and uh, as we'll discuss, uh, their breadth and the length of the, what they cover is uh, a, a lot more than we would know as well. Uh, so yeah, so good morning, John. Good morning, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Uh, you're, you're working, I assume that you're not at Do Arena right now, like your backdrop. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not uh, Yeah, sitting with 30,000 people, no. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, you're, you're working at home? Yeah, I've been here since, uh, actually, I traveled to London in the beginning of March and had to do a two-week uh, quarantine after that, um, which new regulations had come in. Um, but soon after, I think I made one day to back to the office and we decided um, to just work remotely. And then, of course, you know, we had the orders that came sh uh, just after that as well. So, yeah, it's been uh, two, n two months and, I don't know. Just seven days over two months <laughs> yeah and, it, and we're in ramadan as well now so but how have you found working from home I, i've seen from online that you've attended virtual events yourself you've been speaking so it it looks as if things have continued quite well yeah I, at the beginning it was a bit a uh, bit you know hectic we'd actually implemented a lot of remote systems um because of just uh, business continuity and uh, emergency response and uh we were finishing the testing of that so it all came um, you know, uh, in, in very good time. Uh, I think at the beginning, most people were just doing tons of calls and that was just meeting after meeting after meeting and they couldn't get in touch with anyone mm. throughout the day because they were already pre-booked. <laughs> but, uh, after a couple of weeks, uh, and I started noticing having, I was having the same conversations with people over and over again. We, uh, we kind of, uh, thinned out the, the, the meetings and, and gave people more opportunity to actually, uh, help deliver yeah. output as opposed to just, uh, pontificating as we I like to say. <laughs> um, so that's been working really well. Uh, our teams are fairly independent, you know, as events go, uh, you have to be fairly disciplined because you have a, a fixed date that you work from. Uh, the show must go on is a, is a great saying. And, you know, when the band arrives the, or the, uh, you know, the event arrives, whatever that might be, uh, the, the show has to happen one way or another. So we're kind of used to working, um, you know, as we work function under a matrix organization, but also very independent as a, by departments and people uh, yeah. getting things have to get done. So um, it was just, uh, it's been a good transition. And I think uh, there's a lot to learn from it. We're definitely traveling less, uh, even locally. Uh, um, you know, you can waste two or three hours just uh, going to and from meetings uh, during the day. So the productivity I think is way up and I'm seeing some very good, uh, uh, 
you know, first uh, generation ideas that are coming out, people are being a little more creative and being able to put time into the areas that we, um, we started off doing, which we um, just don't seem to ever find the moment to, to get back to. Interesting. I, I, you mentioned a kind of, you know, a term that we've hear more and more lately called business continuity planning. Um, and, of, yeah. you know, that might fall under the remit of a CEO. Um, how much of that you kind of alluded to that a company like an events company needs to have that as part of its operation in general. Uh, but we now assume that that's just for working from home. But of course, business continuity planning uh, needs to cover a lot more things. So with the with the testing and it's amazing that you were you're working on that quite timely and not not amazing that we've had to use it so quickly but um so how, how many th what goes into uh a business continuity plan strategically well business continuity plan is actually very detailed and it's uh quite time consuming to develop um we have them already for you know the our events so we start with the people it's you know where's our redundancy where's the next step if this person can't make it let's say i lose my production head for example uh due to a flu or you know um, a family emergency um you know you have to have someone else to step up to be able to to um, take over those functions and we need to know who to go to in those cases so that was where it first starts is, is within, uh, within the specific functions of the individual employees. Then it becomes, moves obviously into the departments and you know, uh, really who's tasked with what and which department could take over. If we have a much bigger problem, like, you know, a break, uh, an outbreak of a flu. And I, I don't want to refer to the, you know, anything more serious than that, but, um, yeah. you know, flu, people get sick and food poisoning, whatever that might be. Uh, how is that department's function, um, taken over? Where is the redundancy there? And then, um, you know, obviously goes into the company or into a specific event where if there's a, you know, catastrophic failure in the power systems, you know, uh, what is the next step there? What within, do we go to backup, uh, you know, generators? Or is there a redundancy power line we can use that goes, comes from the grid? And it goes on to, you know, if we have a major fire in the office, you know, what do we do? Um, if we have a Formula One Salam event, uh, how do people function there? So we have remote offices that we can work from. Uh, cloud system obviously is what we're using now um, where we can have access files and we can um, complete our day-to-day -day tasks especially around events because you know uh, a timing of, of, of uh, you know uh, the internet going down or you know the, the fire in the office or you know departmental um, disruption uh, could affect whether we could deliver an event or not and these are sometimes you know massive events like the Pope's uh, visit or mm the Asian cup or, uh, or the formula one or a tennis. So, you know, we've been kind of operating loosely on this for, since we started, we always have an event manual that we work from. Um, and you know, who knowing who's in charge of what, and then who is the next person in charge, um, is very important for the team, but it's much broader than that when we get into, you know, these, these situations and, uh, being able to function on a day-to-day -day basis and then working towards our annual, you know, kind of goals and plans of what's happening next year. So, mm. That's where we're at now is really the the remote office, but um, you know it, it, it's a it's a major incident that we're dealing with, and there's a lot of uh, outcomes that uh, obviously are very negative, and you know going into not only the resolution of those things, but future planning is really um, important in what we're kind of managing now. So, so it's a very in-depth process. <laughs> yeah, it, it does sound as if everything's been uh, thought through and worked out. Um, you know, from clouds to remote offices. 
not that I'm surprised, but it's just such, uh, you know, I alluded to it at the start, it's like a global company. Everything is, uh, everything is thought of per se and well established for something that's, you know, for Flash Entertainment, which is kind of in the early stages of its second decade in operation. Can you talk about the vision from the start, the, how, how it came about, how, uh, and yeah, how the journey has gone in the last uh, 12, 13 years? Yeah, I mean, really, the, the beginning was there was a, a friend of mine who I went to university with who was working here and working at Mabadala um, asked me about doing events and I'd come out to visit and he he was saying, you know, we really need to start doing events here. We have all of this infrastructure that's going to be coming up in the next 10 years. And uh, also there's a, you know, there's an economy that can be built around major events and, you know, the entertainment industry in general um and uh already bringing up the um you know some of the, the the venues to international standards and all the systems and processes that go around that you have to start somewhere and you can't just start out by developing the formula one track and then everything that goes with it so you know we were kind of the precursor to that and um you know it turns out that i had a a major um, uh, life-changing incident uh two or three days after i came to visit where I um, um, had a, a serious uh, life-threatening injury, and it took me about a year and a half. And in that year and a half time, um, you know, they they were continuing on this path, and they invited me to come out to to support a Justin Timberlake booking that they had done and deliver that first concert. Wow. It was such success that uh, I ended up getting a job in Mubadala, and then you know doing uh, a Bon Jovi. Then from there, I was seconded to the Executive Affairs Authority, which is a government entity um, who oversees the Formula One, two four fifty four. Uh, New York University, uh, Tim Keen, and you know uh, Injazat, et cetera, et cetera, mm. um, and developing really this plan. And the plan was to you know how do we kickstart the the um, um, you know events happening in Abu Dhabi, and you know the infrastructure to, uh, within the the industry which is supporting uh, our suppliers and, and finding gaps in the in the marketplace as well as you know some of the uh, the typical government uh, regulations and codes that need to be established like health and safety capacities, uh, food and beverage kind of guidelines, uh, you know, state-of-the-art ticketing, uh, transportation and, uh, and logistics operations, all of these things were, you know, basically non-insistent. So, you know, developing that was really kind of our first, first phase. And we went to, to a plan to, you know, do a series of events over a 12 month period. And uh, from there, we had just started seeing other opportunities to, you know, to grow the business. Um, the FIFA Club World Cup, um, you know, I've worked on that in 2008 and helped develop the plans. And there was an organization that was built to, to deliver the event. Flash ended up taking over that, that organization and uh, kind of just tooling it up a bit and reducing, obviously, their overheads and, mm. and uh, working on their commercialization and, and uh, making sure that the event was raised to the next level. Um, you know, the, FIFA was happy with the first event, but, um, you know, we thought we could do a little bit better. And we, we of course, did that. And then it moved on to, um, you know, obviously our tennis event, which is uh, internationally televised, our investment in UFC in 2000 and, and 2009, 2010, mm. uh, sent stakeholders in delivering a, a you know, a global televised event live um, outdoors, which had never been done before. And we really, you know, established Ticketmaster and, you know, you know, kind of international brands that helped us bring state-of-the-art technologies and services to our clients, mm. as well as, you know, this credibility around, um, you know, the region, because most people's perception was there was no events industry here. And if it was, it was done very, you know, kind of um, 
loosey goosey, let's just say, compared to uh, what happens now. Yeah. And with all of you know the Formula One happening and and obviously having to the first impression from a truly global audience to see what Abu Dhabi was like and all of its assets and capabilities, it was very important that we had a head start. Um, you know, producing events and getting people used to congregating, used to not being able to park in front of venues and walk in and used yeah. to you know, buying tickets and sitting in the seats that they were assigned to, um, you know, not buying uh, cases of water or over top of the bar and single purchases and using uh, POS systems and all of those kind of things that didn't exist and having a variety of uh, food and beverage offerings as well as uh, ticketing and visual uh, viewing experiences and, uh, you know, all of this stuff was, was, uh, uh, non-existence when we came here. So that was really to bring us up to international standards, show the world that Abu Dhabi from, you know, a public's perspective, it was the first time that we were on a global audience with, with especially with the F1, to, to, to uh, prove our capabilities and make sure that people didn't see us as second rate or, you know, uh, the experience here weren't as weren't as, as as nice as they were in London or Stockholm or Toronto. Yeah. So uh, that was really you know the first ten years and just diversifying what we were doing. We just it was just so many opportunities that we just couldn't miss out on. I originally wanted to get into you know uh, horizontal and uh, vertical investments, but you know the private sectors there, the government didn't want to interfere too much with uh, what was already existing, and we became more of a support system. Um, to other entities and as well as the, the private sector and saying, look, this is how it, everything's got to be A plus here. And, uh, you know, as you see, some of the artists and some of the events that we've done uh, reflected that. Amazing. Most of them. Yeah. So, so much to kind of go into there. Uh, it's a fascinating story and aligned with a lot it's of the... Off. Start rambling, so <laughs> no, no problem. No, I'm, I'm, I'm already learning a lot, but I think, um, you know, obviously, and I will go into it in more detail the alignment with uh, Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi is a tourism destination, but also putting infrastructure in place that, as you said, can cross over to other entities. But just talking about the Flash Entertainment uh, strategically in the events uh, industry, uh, you know, I, I think you probably kind of said that it, it things went, went from event to event and so bold, but at what point do you kind of uh, try and iron out of what your role in this is uh, and, uh, you know, how much of that is vision-led and, uh, you know, even you mentioned that you, you did an investment in a global, a U.S. company or a global company, UFC. Um, how much of that is kind of part of the planning and what, how do you describe Flash Entertainment as a business? Well, uh, yeah, that's a very good question. Um, you know, there's a plan that you kind of, we have a, you know, a three year, which we, we typically try to adhere to very strictly. And then obviously extends for five years, which gets more into theoretical. And then you have to be able to adapt as you see opportunities or things that are not working. Um, we do have a plan. The plan is, has always been the same. Um, you need to get to some sort of critical mass. We do have a lot of administrative responsibilities because we are, uh, owned by the government, that is the shareholder, even though we're licensed by 2454 as a private sector company. Um, we have a lot of responsibilities around, um, you know, like I said, setting the, set, setting the standards within the industry and supporting the different entities and making sure that things work. But the plan has really been to, um, you know, focus on our core, which was the, the, the delivering live events and, and you know, uh, A-plus experience for our customers, as well as the, you know, the content providers that are there 
giving Abu Dhabi the, you know, the, or making sure that Abu Dhabi remained like, you know, an A plus plus destination that are premium experiences with premium, um, you know, content. And we just like from from that we knew that you know we 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 needed uh, the suppliers to operate under that kind of guise as well and be make sure that they were doing the same thing. Um, and we wanted to do a series of events. And we we saw the opportunities around sports. We saw the opportunities around cultural events. We saw the opportunities around these huge international properties that we did work with the NBA and the UFC and obviously FIFA and the uh, Asian uh, Asian Football Federation. Um, all of those entities, you know, gave us, uh, you know, a, a platform and opportunity to showcase our skills. Where we see the events, obviously, is is um, we are in a remote location, and the diversification of our geographical uh, sphere has to expand. Um, the only way that it's going to become more economically prudent to be, you know, doing concerts is to have multiple stops in the territory. Um, for, uh, you know, uh, a Disney to come, which is already there, mm. but uh, for, you know, The weekend or Drake or, sorry, I'm referring to all the Canadian guys. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. You're, you're obviously uh, a Canadian. Drake, yeah. Or Bon Jovi or yeah. Rolling Stone uh, is really to, re you know, um, kind of shrink those, those uh, the, the logistics in, in the geographical space. So coming to Abu Dhabi for one show before heading to Australia or Singapore or South Africa, is is still a big stop and it's a, bit, a lot of travels a lot of expenses that go with it mm. so um it, it's it's we see the opportunity is around uh working with groups in saudi and working with groups even in dubai and and, and bahrain and lebanon india um you know turkey was on our on our radar so in the beginning we had this geographical plan but you know the the economy the uh the big uh, downfall in 2008 uh really Kind of put a wrench in things because we had worked on greece and we'd worked on turkey and mm. we were developing relationships there and lebanon had a decent uh uh steam going on um, and south africa was very popular as well mm. but you know brand went down um in value which you know limited to the amount of events they're doing obviously lebanon was struggling through its own economic problems greece the same and turkey um, um just become you know, less uh, less important as, as a commercial stop. But in the beginning, it was, you know, the Rihanna's, the Madonna's of the world were all going there. And uh, that had changed because of just the economic or political situations. And now we're into a new area where we see um, Saudi being very active in the, in the space. And we yeah. see um, people realizing, like maybe in, in Egypt, we've had a lot of uh, discussions there mm. about you know, doing events and uh, people see the opportunities and the economic impact that it has. And also, you know, the, the values and the social uh, elements of people enjoying themselves, congregating as groups, um, you know, um, just uh, having a having a you know some pride in your city. Believe it or not, these are all things that we that we've researched that people you know um, uh, have come back to us and said that you know feels that that's what events feel to them. So uh, we were now back into the next ten years, and that geographical expansion is important and. And then finding the right partners in those different territories are there like we are for the long term. I think a lot of people didn't believe that, you know, Flash was here going to and be be uh, uh, part of the uh, the fabric and the society mm. uh, as an institution as it has become. So yeah, just sorry to interrupt. Just to touch on that, I think you know people see flagship brands in this region across the different industries, whether it's national uh, airline carriers, Etihad or Emirates, and 
you know, what you're describing, and as people become more familiar with the Flash story, uh, you know, for global brands like FIFA uh, and Formula One, uh, who are owned by listed companies, to choose Flash as their partner, and then for you to create your own IP, whether it's the Mabadala World Tennis event or the um, Mother of the um. Nation events, which are local concepts but have global standards uh it, yes. it, it kind of sh you know it shows the ambition there and just touching on that what, what's your preference uh personally and also business wise is it is it to create the ip of the events here uh for the region for the world or is it to partner as well with with uh global events well, I think that it's a combination of the two things. I mean, it used to be just pure partnerships and just emulating what was happening in other markets. I think that uh, for us to be successful is really creating, you know, using those international brands, um, their experience globally, their connections into, you know, content or sponsors or, you know, distribution, depending on what, what, uh, what particular product you're talking about. Um, and, and then creating something that's unique for the region. I think we have a very, well, we, I know we have a very diverse population. We have different tastes and different things. I mean, people might like a Beyonce show, but you know, if you're doing um, something like Yasalami, where we have Arabic artists and we have uh, you know, Filipino artists and Indian artists and Lebanese artists, um, there's something for everyone. And we really wanted to cater that product to, to you know, the, the local population where just recreating something that happens. I mean, well, not, first of all, they didn't have a, uh, Formula One entertainment program that was uh, centrally coordinated in any city. So we were the innovators in that space. And then we saw that as an opportunity back in 2008, um, saying, well, why don't we have a centralized, you know, coordination where there's one entity running all of the events and, you know, it's in focus and supporting the Formula One, um, also exposing the cultural elements of Abu Dhabi. Because when you go to a Formula One in Abu Dhabi, you want to have the Abu Dhabi experience. You don't want to, even if you're an international traveler from London, uh, or Los Angeles or Germany, you know, you don't want to come here and have the same experience you'd have in, in, in your home city. You want to hear, you want to be here to see something different. Mm. And it's about the experiences that people want to travel to Abu Dhabi. The track is amazing. And the, you know, the, that's unique. And the, uh, the, the sundown race is unique, but you know, what else can you do? People, you know, travel in groups, they don't all have the same taste and creating a, an environment or creating a product that is, is very diverse and culturally, as well as, um, you know, and from an entertainment perspective was, was really important. So going back to your point, um, we do see the value in creating IP and partnering with, with some international, uh, recognized brands, but doing something unique that, you know, flash could put its flair on. And a lot of the discussions we have, and we did this with the, the club world cup. I mean, we really tried to do something different in 2010, uh, that we were met with a lot of resistance from FIFA at first. Um, they're very limited. They you know they have a form formula and they like to, to just cookie cutter that everywhere they go. Mm. Um, it turned out a very positive. It was funny because the guy who was in charge of the club world cup back in uh, 2009 and 10 just texted me and uh, the other day, you know, we still keep in touch and yeah, you know, he's at the AFC, but uh, it, you know, I think that we, those the relationships we established proved that number one, we could deliver the events, not only to the standard that they, they already set globally, but, to create a unique experience that, you know, differentiate us than other cities and also, you know, um, expanded, uh, you know, their fan base as well. I think that's fascinating. I think people can relate to it across different industries and business with franchises and bringing brands here. And I think they'll empathize with your, say, struggle on some of those 
uh, you know, to show the value. And I remember going to Nürburgring in 2005 for a Formula One event, and it was vastly, vastly different than the experience in Abu Dhabi. And I, I can kind of relate to, you know, what you've done at, at that level. Um, so, so it's amazing. And I think, I, I guess that's what you mean by finding the right partners, whether it's across the region or international, that, and that can see the value that Flash Entertainment brings. Can you talk a little bit about UFC? Because there was an initial invest investment and then that was exited and then now UFC Arabia, Arabia have their own events. And how, how has that um, materialized and what's your kind of take on that? Well, that was very interesting. I mean, it was a surprise call I had from the chairman, I think it was back in 2009, it must have been early 2009. So we're going to meet uh, Frank and Lorenzo and Dana. Um, so I was quite excited because it was actually something that I used to watch when I was in, living in Toronto at the time. Mm -hmm. And it was something I used to watch with my friends as well as my, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time. It was you know, easy for everyone to understand a sport that we could get together, you know, drink a few beers on the couch and, and, all in, and uh, spend you know, three or four hours you know, socially. So I was quite excited about it. And it first came up about hosting an event, and then the next thing, uh, it was brought up at a much higher level than me, but uh, about an investment. And I think the UFC saw it as a strategic play for them because of the connections Abu Dhabi has within medias and, uh, and uh, obviously their, their uh, financial investments globally. Um, and they wanted to establish better relationships and get these big deals with Fox or you know, ABC, which eventually ended up happening. Mm. And uh, it was a short-term investment, um, I mean, 10 years. But um, for, for, for the company, it was purely, I mean, it initially was done financially, but the benefits were there. UFC loved us because um, we were doing something unique and it was something in the region. It was a territory that they saw as an expansion into Asia. Um, well, we are in Asia, but uh, anyway, from the GCC into some of the uh, other countries that are further to the east. And um, we, we also already had the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu World Championship and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was already in the public schools. And you had the legends in the sport who knew some of the leadership in Abu Dhabi and uh, trained them and worked with them and saw how passionate they were about you know, mixed martial arts, um, specifically Jiu-Jitsu, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So you know, th there was all these synergies between the two groups and um, it just became all, you know, we could use someone like, you know, the Abu Dhabi Entities Inc., um, you know, voice to, to talk about our brand. And, um, you know, after the 10 years, I think it was time to exit. And, and uh, everyone greatly benefited from, from that. It was a, an incredible investment. We learned a lot from the UFC. Uh, they learned a lot from us. Um, we produced a, an event outdoors the first time. And I remember on the conference calls when we were talking about Anderson Silva and Frankie Edgar, uh, two title fights, um, they kept freaking out about the venue and I was, you know, on the phone kept saying, don't stop with the venue. This is what we do. Best. Like we can build a venue in the middle of the desert. We could do anything. There would be a like half underwater if you want. I'm not worried about that. I was like, let's worry about promoting this event, getting the pay-per-views and getting the, yeah. you know, the ticket. Well, that was my bigger concern, but they were used to, so used to just going into arenas, you know, that, that had, you know, decades of, uh, event experience. It was something new for them and they, we never worked together, but. Obviously, the event went uh, smashingly well, and that was a good start to the relationship. We'd hoped to build something larger with them, but again, it was about resources. They were focusing on major markets. Uh, we still see an opportunity. There's uh, another event coming this year, and um, the last one was very, very successful as well. 
Um, so the relationship is, is still there, still conversations happening. Mm. Uh, just the investment when um, uh, Endeavor uh, decided to purchase the UFC, that's when the time was just like, okay, we've done our thing. There's a great bump in price and, you know. Yeah, amazing. So, and, and, and they grew as well. So it was, you know, you, you kind of grew together in many ways internationally and locally. Uh, so the UFC Arabia is part of Endeavor globally and it's separate now. Well, I don't know if there's a UFC Arabia. There's a okay. UFC events that yeah. happen here. But just um, the, yeah, okay. The the web no, you're it. yeah okay. Uh, you you tell me. It's not. I'm not part of that initiative. Actually, it's something that the Tourism Authority has uh, has uh, developed a plan and a structure with the UFC over a certain amount of years, and uh, we just get called in to to uh, produce the events from time to time. Okay. So we'll. Interesting. So, yeah, amazing. So, just touching on something that you just you mentioned in terms of uh, the region and partnerships, uh, we've seen recently in the news that Abu Dhabi have made an investment in Live Nation with, with Ticketmaster. Um, how do you how do you view that in terms of being a private company and a listed company? Uh, do you think it's a good news for the region and the events business in general? You mean Saudi Saudi Arabia? What, sorry, what did I say? Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Yeah, no, sorry. Oh, sorry. Maybe yeah. I... <laughs> yeah, my boss. Sorry. Yeah, no, the, 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 I look. I mean, it's 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 good. Uh, I think it shows that the Saudis are very committed to long term, into delivering uh, events and having event program in in KSA. Um, obviously, being a very close neighbor and uh, you know very good relations with it's it's uh, it's a positive move. I think it will give a lot of attention to to the region as well. Uh, obviously. You know, Live Nation doesn't own much content. They're more of a, a concert promoter and mm. a, a touring company, uh, more ticketing and food and beverage sponsorships, et cetera. But um, yeah, I think it will it will benefit everyone greatly. Uh, I, the biggest hurdle, as I said in the beginning, and what we've been trying to overcome since 2007, is really we don't have a touring region. Um, and to have mm. something that we can, you know, um, bring artists over, um, that way we can negotiate a little bit stronger on pricing and the economies of scale obviously kick in for them as well as us. Um, there'll be more opportunity to bring content into the region and diver diversity of content and, and uh, hopefully as well, you know, developing and exporting some, some content. Um, like I said, the, the Yasalam program, the Formula One uh, event series, which um, we used to be completely responsible for now the private sector has picked up some elements of it and other agencies is something that the formula one is trying to emulate around the world. Mm. Um, and this event as well as an XO, you see other, other countries now saying, do we want a two week tournament? You know, I'm nothing taking away from the ATP. Obviously they're fantastic. We would love to have one of those events here, but they're just not that there's none up for, you know, for, mm. for, for license. So, you know, we have to make good. And it also was around the facility that we had, but, you know, we want to we want to be with creating, and we want to develop stuff that is uh, regionally relevant, and as well as um, you know, bringing some international attention to what we're doing here, and not just a one-off, you know, high-paying, you know, nobody, no financial returns on on these events kind of attitude or perception that we have, which is 100% not the case. Yeah. So I guess so, the the tour, yeah. the touring aspect is, you know. The, it would need kind of regional collaboration. It would be great for you, for example, if Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and a Levant country uh, joined up and you kind of had a, a seasonal collaboration uh, where 
you know, the Rolling Stones or you two are, can, we can mention Drake again or someone Canadian. Would, sure. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Bieber, Celine Dion, <laughs> Bieber, Celine Dion. Michael Bublé. <laughs> Michael Bublé, amazing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So uh, rather than them viewing, um, yeah. Rather than them, Nickelback, keep going. Uh, I should think of someone not that good at music, but so they should, um, they should rather than see the region as a kind of, um, you know, for want of a better term, you know, um, cash cow or a, a, a one-off payment and, you know, and they might then be seen in, in the mercenary terms. We, it would be better if the region almost worked together, aligned tourism strategically to have five or six stop-offs and then, uh, then there would be a lot more kind of economic of scale at your level uh, in terms of uh, what, yeah, exactly, for the whole events industry. Yeah, it would be fantastic. Um, again, we've been, we've been working on this since 2007. Uh, a lot of the research that I had done, even with the, the you know, the initiatives around tourism, um, we're looking at, you know, like, what is the best, uh, you know, model to, to operate under or try to achieve um, you know, I saw a lot of reports about, you know, the region being a touring area, having people come for like 10 days where they could do a few days in Dubai, a few days in Abu Dhabi, go into, you know, into the desert and go maybe off to Bahrain or, uh, you know, Egypt, Lebanon, whatever the case may be. Jordan, yeah. um, and having everyone kind of benefit from that. I think there was even talk about some coordination around some of the bigger sporting events at one time way, way back. But, um, you know, obviously there, there has to be uh, established promoters in all of our event producers in all of those territories. And, um, you know, they have to be able to maximize their, their, their revenues mm. and drive um, diversification of those revenue streams to help um, bring these events in. And once, you know, that kind of comes along, I mean, it, it's always difficult for collaboration because the way that the industry works is a competitive bidding process. And, you know, the more fear there is about you not getting a show, the more likely are you to throw a few a more hundred thousand dollars at it. Mm. Um, the collaboration uh, either has to be, you know, through a, a mutual investment or it's mutual uh, benefit um, where people in big in theory can see the benefit. I think, you know, the collaboration piece uh, has to be amongst some of the bigger players at a much higher level. Mm. Um, you know from a strategic position of whether, whether that's you know the touring companies or whether that's you know some of the content owners or whether that's the governments themselves um you know getting getting a little bit more more involved and and saying look that we, we by the some of our parts we're all going to be um there'll be more benefit for us to gain than saying i want the exclusivity for this artist and you know take all of the uh yeah take all of the um you know uh, tourism money or you know travelers that may come in um, so, so, but then again, I'm not, I'm not a, a tourism expert. I'm not a hotel expert. I do know, I do know about those kind of things, but I, I think it is, is, uh, it's very difficult, especially in the beginning. We just need more collaboration people to understand, um, you know, the long-term objectives and what people have, which it can be hard because you have a lot of transient people in yeah. these territories as well. So they want to be here for three years, make the biggest bang and leave. And they don't have a 10 year plan or a 20 year plan. So unlike, unlike unlike um abu dhabi does and the tourism industry does and one of the benefits people say and i guess is generally assumed of being a private company is that you can plan longer term um how much of of what you do events wise is related 
is uh, public service, as in the, some of the events that you create is for the community, for the city, for the country. Uh, you, may, you know, you do, you do the Mother of the Nation event. You, there's a recent Moments uh, campaign that you've done. And yep. there's lots of kind of, is that CSR? Is that public service? You've done the papal visit? No. Okay. Those are actually fee for service. Yeah, you touched on like the Pope visit, uh, Mother of the Nation we've done a few times in the past. Um, we didn't do the last one and we're not doing the one that will be coming currently. These are all competitive bids that we, we work with uh, or try to win uh, mm. through other uh, government agencies. Like I said, we do operate as a private sector entity mm. and we compete with the private, we, well, we compete with our competitors. <laughs> yeah. That's redundant, no, but we compete with other event agencies and um, you know we, we actually make money on those events. Yeah. So it's who has the most creative ideas, uh, what kind of uh, you know, cost uh, controls or whatever mechanisms they have to deliver quality at a cheaper price. Uh, those are the things that, that win those bids. But we, there is a creative element. The Moments One um, came up in very short notice and we had done a lot of community stuff um, on the, again, I refer to the Formula One event and the Yasalam program which was more than just about concerts. We had, you know, lecture sessions for university students. We had engineers coming in. We had health and fitness. We had an arts program. We had uh, movie nights, fan zones. We had food culture, kids parades, representing different nationalities. And those things were more about CSR, but really making the whole community feel like they were part of the F1 as well. Mm. Um, so when we do, again, what seems as CSR events like the post visit, that is a fee that we do charge. Uh, some of the CSR stuff that we do do is really in support of charities. Um, you know, we support uh, the rest presidents. We did the last mile. Uh, we we manage the formula, or sorry, the uh, the Terry Fox run. Mm. Uh, we do a golf event, uh, support a golf event uh, with one of our ex-employees who unfortunately passed away from um, to uh, uh, cancer. And uh, we also work with other regional charity and uh, events to to support them through auctions and giving away prizes, logistics, and and things like that. But there is sometimes an element of what we do where we bring the community in. The tennis brings a lot of the community in, where we do tennis in schools and we have the the coaches come in and teach other coaches how to coach. Mm. Uh, we there's a lot of uh, give back to 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 the community in those things. And uh, we with the bigger events around football, we always try to incorporate. Um, these activations that either go into schools or go into public places or, and uh, working with the PLC and, and their activations, bringing the, more of the community and younger kids in, getting them interested, getting them into wellness and health, getting them into activities and, and uh, um, group activities where they can congregate and develop social skills. So uh, that's been a big part of what we do. It isn't the only thing that we can justify. We try to bring it into the things and make some of the um, the content owners, mm. like the tourism authority, believe that it's better that there is a benefit to the community for that, and owners of Mother of the Nation as well as the moments. Amazing. I'm I'm not purposely avoiding COVID nineteen or talking about the current scenario. There, there just seems to be so much to discuss about flash and the events business in general. And I, I I'd like to touch on the future and the plans for events and. You know, you can talk about the virtual ones, but also big events like the Olympics and other things like that, and even yeah. um, even business type events. But just uh, strategically for Flash, it's a private company. Uh, there are other private companies here in, in the region. Uh, do you, do you think uh, what what does the future hold in terms of growth? Uh, do you think there is an exit? 
you know, will, will you see more companies like that go on the stock market? Like we saw some IPOs out of the region recently in the energy sector. Um, and what's your kind of plan for Flash? Well, it's like three <laughs> in one there, I think. So which okay. one do you focus on 19 innovation in the space or you well, know, just the first uh, one on, on, on where Flash, where yeah. the roadmap for Flash as a business, and then we'll talk about the future. A bit. Well, you know, this is a very hard time. I mean, for for the world um, as well. Obviously, we're part of the world, so it, it's a difficult time for us. Um, people's health, which is you know paramount, and it's something that is our first priority when we do events, is that the wellness and the health of people providing a safe environment, and everything comes down from there. Um, so you know, obviously, when you see people being affected globally and uh, whether, you know, obviously families and people losing their lives and the economic damage uh, is tough to take. So we're just trying to really, you know, keep the team um, motivated, even though they we're not doing events. Our events stopped in March and the ones that we were currently working on, um, you know, were immediately shut down or they weren't being delivered. But obviously most of the planning and, and cost comes before the event actually happens. <laughs> So those were closed off and we just don't know when we're gonna start. We've looked at some ideas for after Ramadan about uh, low density kind of social gatherings where people can get outdoors and experience different things. Um, we're working on uh, ticketing and capacity. Um, we're working on health and safety, you know, having sprayers at the venues, having thermal detectors, having uh, individual screenings um, and obviously sanitizers and developing, uh, you know, spatial recognition patterns on the floor where people could stand to give them, you know, different different space. But again, it, it all depends on on what's happening uh, to people's health. If there are still the number of cases that are being spread, or it's really up to the public. Are they going to be comfortable in going out? Mm. Uh, are you know, are we going to get content to come in? Or are we going to have to stick with with local events? So everything is very up in the air. We're talking to different artists about doing some digital stuff online, and really focusing from a, a, a corporate perspective is how we operate as a company. What are the innovations or changes we're going to make in the future? Uh, and reevaluate everyone's, um, you know, uh, job descriptions as well as the functions of the departments, the, the three year, five year plan that we had put out, how we can better work with some of our suppliers looking at uh, obviously increasing or trying to diversify our revenue streams, mm. efficiencies of scale, and uh, what, you know, again, it's, it's up in the air of what the future is going to hold. Is it going to be the end of this year? Is it going to be next year? Is it going to be two years? We just don't know. Mm. Uh, surveys that have been done of showing 60% of the people are not going to be comfortable going into a smaller space. We've seen in the States, uh, I saw a manifest from Ticketmaster just released about using 20% capacity of the, of the venue, mm. uh, which is never going to work for us because just like I said, we don't have the touring route. So to have, you know, it's not like some guy can pick or girl can get in her car and drive, you know, to the venue and spend a few thousand dollars in, in, in uh, setting up and performing. You know, we're talking about people flying in from, you know, London or, uh, you know, New York, LA, which is uh, logistically quite, <laughs> quite expensive. Mm. So we're going to have to, to, to come up with the creative ideas and, and look at things that we can create here that don't rely on you know, touring content or content that comes from abroad. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's good because our team is very motivated. It's something that we were looking at 
for our next ten years anyway. Mm. It's just circumstances. Obviously, I would be much happier if we were in different circumstances doing all of these things. But we have to re- remain productive. We have to remain positive, um, and uh, you know, making sure that we're accomplishing you know like kind of these weekly, monthly, and annual goals. Mm. Uh, and as more more information comes out in time, and then we'll, we'll we'll adapt to that. Like we always have done. We've been very good at kind of pivoting and moving. Um, this might be a, a massive pivot for us. Uh, there might be some, you know, uh, fundamental changes in the industry in general, um, even in travel. So all of those things will have to be assessed. But right now we're planning for the fourth quarter. We're planning to deliver some of our, our monarchy events, and uh, we're going not going to be doing as much as we had wanted to do for sure. I don't see the point in cannibalizing and a lot of people want to get back into the space. Mm. A lot of people want to go out, you know, if, if we have the, the permission to do so. Um, and it's really about what we're going to be doing in 2021 until 2025. Okay. So we see some people uh, having digital or virtual only events. I, I think you alluded uh, on another interview to uh, something about having access on virtual and physical for, for, visitors or for customers but also um we see the gaming and esports uh yeah. area and i think recently Fortnite did something with travis scott if i yeah. if i have his name right um and he was he yeah. attended one of your events before right uh he was supposed to come oh no yeah he was did years and years ago i forgot about that yeah yeah i don't know why <laughs> i probably got it out of my memory he was uh he's a fun he likes to have fun so <laughs> just leave it at that it was uh, challenging for my team, um, but I did come to the Formula One event. I think it was about maybe four or six years ago. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I believe it or not, a huge fan of Travis Scott. So, but he canceled the last one. We brought him on the bigger stage because of his foot injury. He had to go to the hospital, but uh, or get a surgery done on his, his ankle. And um, he he did his live thing on Fortnite. You're right. Uh, it was it was great. I mean, my kids were super excited. I was excited to see, you know, how they were gonna, you know, use it, and create an avatar of him, and have him perform in this virtual world. It was really kind of cool. Wow. Uh, this great, you know, uh, Post Malone did, uh, you know, like a rock set of uh, Nirvana covering all the Nirvana songs, which was fun to watch. Global Citizen did a big charity event with a, you know, plethora of artists and then performing. Wow. But again, these are all being done for charity or they're not really being, you know, they're not monetized. Mm. Uh, I think it's going to be difficult because if you've seen the history of the music business, especially with Napster in the beginning days and illegal downloads and artists like, oh, everyone's getting this stuff for free. We're mm. not being compensated. You know, how is that compensation model going to work? And again, people are used to getting, you know, they're going to be used to getting, you know, to see events live for free, streaming free. Um, and when you start putting a dollar on amount, is it, is it going to create a backlash? How long is that going to get for people to get over? Mm. Can you get sponsors to come in and support? Um, you know, these are all questions that need to be answered. Mm. And it all depends on, you know, how long this goes for. I mean, I think artists are quite content to be at home working in the studio, developing relations and collaborations. Um, a lot of other projects they work on, whether it's, you know, a, in TV or film, or clothing, uh, you know, real estate, whatever. I mean, you know, they're very, very diverse, uh, you know, this new generation and, and what they're doing. So it's always a battle for their time. And I think they're going to focus on other things for now, mm. um, see how the touring route comes back. And then we'll see, 
really what the what the changes are. I think Super M just uh, one of the K-pop bands put out sold seventy two thousand tickets for one of their live streaming shows. Wow. There's a huge appetite, as you know. Uh, nothing on TV, really, other than Netflix. And I finished that uh, about a week ago. <laughs> uh, the foreign language section and things that I haven't heard. <laughs> like, yeah. But, uh, you know, that's my insomnia. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it, I think it's a great opportunity. I think there, there, there might be some sort of element that, you know, yeah. people, especially if there's some lifting of restrictions and people can congregate at least as, as social groups and go to like, you know, like it was like having a DJ, local DJ or your friend DJing at a, at a, at a house party. Maybe it's, it's having, you know, performance being streamed live and people, yeah. you know, going out in large groups, going out in smaller groups. But uh, we're going to have to see, I mean, there's a lot of uh, infrastructure and in, in trillions of dollars in the, in this system that it co is currently exists. So, uh, I think there'll be a lot of uh, resistance to be switching drastically, but you know what people want and what people are are willing to do is going to be what the driver is to the next uh, the next phase. Interesting. Well, thank you for sharing everything today. I think, judging by the uh, path that Flash Entertainment has been on, it's safe for it's a safe bet to assume that you'll be part of the innovation. Um, and looking at the uh, image behind you, I think. Hopefully, uh, inshallah, everyone will be able to, yeah, to, to congregate again in the future with a vaccine. You know, we all, we all see how amazing that venue is, the acoustics, and we want, to, we want it to be packed with 80,000 people again one day in the future. Yeah, well, we have also yeah, the new Etihad Arena that's coming online in September. Oh, so amazing. that's one of the innovations. You know, we, we were doing greenfield sites when we got here. Then we went into, you know, a very rough, uh, area which is a, not rough area but a very rough kind of what you would term as a venue at the 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 do at the time it was just called the uh, the arena uh, for our world uh, then we went on to the, the do things so those innovations have taken now we're now we're into a space where we have a brand new state-of-the-art indoor arena that's being developed for 18,000 people oh wow uh, the title sponsor bets you have but those were some of the innovations there was no naming rights deals and no um uh, that existed in the region. We were the innovators in that space as well, helping us bring in some of these artists. People know that these, uh, you know, uh, artists aren't cheap. So having a title sponsor coming on and guaranteeing us X amount of sponsorship over a four-year period allows us to be very flexible and do those things. So we're very proud of our partnership with Do, and we'll continue that as well as our new partnership with Etihad. Hopefully, they'll be flying tons of people in here. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Um, and I hope they're thinking the same too. So. Uh, you know, with all the precautions and, you know, hopefully uh, everything going well, will we be able to attend an event at the Etihad Arena this year? And what event will it be? Well, Disney on Ice is scheduled for the beginning of September. Okay. Uh, that's, uh, that's the plan now. Again, we're waiting for the Tourism Authority to tell us what the, what the restrictions or if any are going to be there in place. Mm. And again, we'll see what happens uh, during the summer. Okay. And as you said, we never know. Well, we good, think positive. Good plan for the worst. Yeah, hope for the best. Hope for the best. <laughs> a good note to finish on. Thanks again, John, for your time this morning, and well done all the success, and wish you well in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy.